The views and opinions expressed in this program are those of the guests and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the hosts and creators of this program. This is the Pet Buzz with pet trendologist Charlotte Reed and Dr. Michael Fleck. The Pet Buzz is dedicated to enhancing the bond between pets and their people. Each week, the Pet Buzz provides the latest news and information on how to keep your pets healthy and happy so you can save money and have a fulfilling relationship together. Now, here's your Pet Buzz hosts, Charlotte Reed and Dr. Michael Fleck. Hey, greetings from the Pet Buzz Studio on the Gulf Coast of Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay. Yeah, we love it here. Hey, how about those bucks? You're a football fan, Dr. Absolutely. Black. I was just thinking of Tom Brady when you I mentioned know. that. Tom Brady did a great job, right? They, he did such a great job. They even brought in the last quarter the, uh, what is it? You know, the sideline quarterback. Oh, yeah. What are they called? Well, what's more relevant is the ball that was given into the stands that's worth a half a million dollars wow too bad you weren't there no i know it. we could have used the money okay <laughs> well actually i got up really early this morning as i always do and just this morning i want you to know because this is now this is a halloween so you got my halloween shirt on mm-hmm. we're talking or i should say halloween 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 so i had the opportunity to check out the pictures of the Tompkins square halloween pet parade for you for those of you who do not know Tompkins square halloween pet parade is the mamajama it is fantastic. I mean, when I say people bring it, they bring it. So I looked at a few media site photo spreads on the event. I got to say the costumes were fantastic because at that kind of event, you know, all of New York comes out. There was an even a woman from when I was looking at the Reuters site came up from North Carolina to see the costume parade. Wow. So unlike my tour, where I showed a lot of, you know, commercial uh, costumes that you can buy. Sure. These are what people really make. And a lot of times they dress up themselves. So, I mean, uh, like I said, it's New York. People are all over the world are looking at this parade. So you got to bring it. Bring it. You got to bring it. Okay. So the best in show that was, you know, the big Magilla went to a guy named Ruben Santana of the Bronx who lost his longtime uh, parade companion, uh, his doggy companion this year. But he pulled it off. He won top honors with his new pet, Amon, who anchored their uh, essential workers float. Hmm. So the dog was dressed up like a doctor mm-hmm. or a veterinarian. We don't know. Or a nurse. Or, but there were other on the float. They had the other characters. The best food costume went to a dog named Mimi, who came as a dim sum cart, which I thought was really charming. The best New York outfit went to a pair of puppies dressed as a Staten Island fairies. So they made like boats that, you know, went over the, the dog's back. And then uh, that show Schitt's Creek, mm-hmm. uh, the Schitt's Creek uh, crew won in the pulp culture category. And then there was uh, Bark Obama in a uh, can Heidi Wiley uh, portrait mode, won the current events award. Now, you got to see this picture. It's a little white chihuahua wearing a black leather outfit with spikes coming out of its head. Mm. But what really makes the outfit is the dog has hang tongue. Mm. So the tongue sticks out of the side. It's a little scary. So see some of the news coverage on the Pet Buzz social media channels. You're going to love the costumes. Well, what's a dim sum cart? Well, they have dim sum, don't you? you know, it's kind of like, um, you know, when you go and have plates of food. 
like yeah. in Spain, you know, yeah, it's like they have different things like chicken feet, pot stickers. Oh, okay, listeners, now you understand <laughs> it as well as me. It's a big thing in a lot of uh, the larger cities where there's large Asian populations. Okay. And actually, I, and a lot of people don't know this, but we discard a lot of chicken feet. And one of the biggest consumers of chicken feet, I believe, are uh, is the Asian market. Or in the Bahamas, we get the witches and all that. No, no, I'm I'm being completely serious. I'm not. I mean, yeah. I mean, <laughs> they're is, serious you know, too. They have pot stickers. <laughs> they have all sorts of um, noshes <laughs> to to have, and you just kind of sit around. And the, the cart comes around in a lot of these Asian restaurants, uh, and you know, not the ones that are serving beef and broccoli. Really traditional, like in Chinatown when you would come to New York, and we'd go to Chinatown, and carts come around in these big rooms, and then you take whatever you want off the cart. Sometimes mm. it's plates of pork, sometimes it's vegetables. Sometimes it's uh, pot stickers, wontons, fried, steamed, all types of dumplings. It's interesting. It's not necessarily for me. And I do like some Asian food, but it's not necessarily for me. OK, now that we talked about some, mm-hmm. now that you know what that is, uh, let's get the party started. As, uh, as always, we've got some great guests to talk with and more interesting topics to talk about. So, Doc, why don't you lead the charge by giving our listeners a preview of today's show? Well, remember the TV show, The A-Team? Loved it. Well, it seems there's a new A-Team located in the Canary Islands off the coast of Africa. Hear about their recent rescue of dogs stuck on an island of volcanic ash. Learn more about how they undermined a government for the daring canine rescue. That's a team all, all the, the way. way. Okay. And as the month of October is coming to an end, we have to remember that breast cancer affects dogs and cats too. Dr. Karen Serenmo of Leslie's place. If you recall, she was at the last time we talked to her, she was at university of Pennsylvania and she is joining us to review stats, symptoms, diagnosis, and treatment of dogs and cats with mammary tumors and in flex facts i answer a listener's question about hiccup so in past episodes of the peppa scientists had visited with us to discuss how using ancient dog dna helped push back the arrival date of people coming to the americas so joining us today to talk about this topic is dr tatiana forborn an archaeologist at the University of Copenhagen. Dr. Forborn, thank you so much for joining us today on the Pet Buzz. Thanks for having me. Well, you know, we're so excited that you're here because this is a topic that we've talked about with so many people uh, across Europe who are actually working on these various projects. So um, I guess my first question is, why do we use dogs to understand human movement like migration and trade interaction? I think that's a really interesting question, and it's definitely something that's been kind of increasing over the last couple of years that we've had a lot more research that have been using this kind of perspective. And I believe, for me, and I think that's because of my background in archaeology, that I have a pretty good explanation for this. And that's that, I mean, humans and dogs have had really interconnected histories. We've both been tied to each other from the beginning of dogs, really, because dogs were the first domesticate. So for so many thousands of years, humans and dogs have done so much together because you can't have a dog without a human, right? Because they're domesticated species. They don't just 
run around in the wild. I mean, now we see that a little bit more so with free roaming dogs, but inherently where there's a person, there's probably a dog and where there's a dog, there's almost definitely a person. And because of this, they help to fill in the gaps that sometimes we have with human remains or human uh, materials from archaeological sites. There's not always these pieces of uh, data that we can get through humans, but where you have a dog, most likely you have a representative of what was probably happening in the human population at the same yeah, time. It's, it's kind of like that closeness in the way that we live since they live so close to us, meaning either in the same building or near us. Exactly. Right. Good cool. pragmatic approach. So doctor, why have dogs in the Arctic been considered a valuable commodity for some many thousands of years, including today? Well, in the Arctic, dogs are an intrinsic part of human technology, not just human society, but they're actually a piece of technology, right? So if you think about dogs pulling sleds, they're not only a pet, but they're a tool in that way. And I think that's why they've been so valuable because they play this intrinsic role in human society. And while we don't know the exact emotional or monetary value of dogs in the past, what we can see that there's clear evidence for their kind of interconnected lives and this kind of inherent value that they would have had, whether it was through hunting or through pulling a sled or as a resource during times of hardship, these kinds of elements have made them very, very useful to, uh, to humans while we don't know exactly what, they, what price they would have put on them in the past. We're moving close to uh, uh, this block is coming to an end. And can you it's, and it's such an interesting topic. I mean, even I was talking to our friend Sasha today who was like, wow, really? Mm-hmm. And um, so we just want to know, can you stick around for another segment? Yeah, of course. OK, great. You are listening to The Pet Buzz with pet trendologist Charlotte Reed and veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. Can't get enough of the buzz? We're online at thepetbuzz.com with daily features, including helpful tips from Charlotte, more flex facts, and a lot of ways for you to save on all of your favorite pet needs. Hey, it's Dr. Michael Fleck back with you here on the Pet Buzz. We're kicking off football. We're kicking off the fall season. Just because the temps are falling, don't drop the ball. On your pet's flea and tick protection, fleas and ticks have a rugged defense against the elements. So stay online, man. Fall is not the time to fumble your responsibilities. Score a touchdown with your pet and make an extra point to keep your pets healthy and safe from fleas and tick this football, I mean, fall season. Does your pet have dry, flaky, and itchy skin? Do you find yourself visiting the veterinarian repeatedly because Fido or Fluffy has skin allergies or ear infections? EpiPet to the rescue. Developed by a veterinarian, EpiPet is a revolutionary, high-performance skin and ear care product line made with the finest natural ingredients. EpiPet, for you and your pet, means better pet health. For more information, epi-pet.com. EpiPet is another proud partner of the Pet Buzz. So I'm a cat, and I just moved in with this new human, and she's got this little toy she's always playing with, all day long. Tap, 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 bloop, bloop. She can't put it down. There it is. Oh, and get this. She even talks to it. Last week, she asked it for Chinese, and guess what? Egg rolls showed up, like magic. Humans have cool toys. A person is the best thing to happen to a shelter pet. Be that person. Adopt. Brought to you by the Ad Council and the ShelterPetProject.org. 
often should you bathe your pet? Well, I'm pet trendologist Charlotte Reed, and I'm asked that question often. How often you should wash your dog depends on a number of factors, including his health, breed, coat, and activity level, as well as where these activities are taking place. Dogs who spend days outside rolling and things are going to need a bath far more often than the ones who spend most of their time on the couch. Or you can always take the smell test. If your dog walks into the room and you can smell them, it's time for a bath. Make sure when it's time for a bath, you gather up all the supplies, including a non-slip mat and plenty of towels. Use shampoo formulated for dogs and turn your cell phone off to avoid distraction. And if you have a dog that hates getting a bath, smear some peanut butter on the bathtub wall and let him lick it off while you bathe him. Then he'll know bathing can really be a treat. Ever wonder what goes on inside the Pet Buzz studio? We post full-length video versions of all of our guests on our YouTube channel. Welcome back to the Pet Buzz. The Pet Buzz, enhancing the bond between pets and their people. So welcome back. Dr. Fly and I are just fascinated by our newest guest, Dr. Tatiana Feuerborn, an archaeologist at the University of Copenhagen. And she's really right now, she's going to get into talking about her research. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what I find so interesting? So there are all these shows about people living in Alaska alone and all these, these shows on discovery. And you still see the way these people live, very isolated, you know, up in the Arctic. And what I find so interesting is so many times you see them having snowmobiles and the snowmobiles break down. So a lot of times these people still use dogs to move around, whether it's to compete or whether it's to hunt or whether it's to to forage or carry. So dogs are still a really important part in life in these in this in this present society, which when you think about a study like this, these, these people still live an isolated life to a certain extent, you know, out in the wild, but they still really have to rely on these dogs because technology is not always foolproof. So that's, I think, for me, one of the I guess the, the one of the threads between the work that uh, Dr. Feuerborn is doing and how people are living today in some of those same areas. Seems like we always talk about the Arctic. We don't talk about beach areas or the southern part of the hemisphere. Is that correct? I mean, it is to some degree. But I think part of that, at least from this kind of ancient DNA perspective that I'm working in, that's partly just because of the preservation of DNA. It's much, much better in the Arctic than it is in desert or beach environments. But also, they haven't played the same kind of... uh, intrinsic technological role in other societies too right so you can get by at the beach without a dog but can you get by in the arctic without one don't fall for his tricks he just came (laughs) from michigan and it's and hates and really hates the cold weather i i mean actually i'm surprised he doesn't have a sweater on because it's It's actually i think it's below 75 today okay so getting back to our interview so taking a step further why is it believed that dogs and their arctic people have been completely isolated from the rest of the world i mean what has made us believe that so it isn't that all arctic people have been completely isolated but in general they have been kind of throughout time it's been a little bit variable and of course the contact is varied by culture by geography 
or just across time, right? So there would have been pockets of time that there would have been some contact and others not. And in some regions, there would be in some regions, there wouldn't be. But it's, I think, largely just because of the geographical isolation. Siberia was a big swath of land. Same thing with the North American Arctic. It's, it's a big area and it's such an extreme climate. So if you don't have to be there, yes, kind of like Dr. Fleck, right? If you don't like the cold, you're not going to go there. So if, if you don't have a reason to be there, you're not going to be there. Um, so there wasn't huge scale like human migration that was frequently happening in the Arctic. And then on, it's this kind of research into modern human genetics that's detected this very little contact, genetic contact, that is, between the Arctic populations and populations outside of the Arctic. So that's where this is rooted in this idea that they didn't have much contact. But yeah, why would you be there if you didn't have to be there or if you didn't have the skill set to be there? Right. Mm -hmm. It's getting more interesting, mm -hmm. isn't it, as we talk to her? Yeah, well, I'm still depressed about discussing only about okay. the Arctic instead yeah. of talking about the beaches okay. in Florida. Let's anyway, what changes uh, what what changed this theory that these communities have been so isolated from the archaeological evidence over the last couple of years in Siberia? There's been the recovery of various different materials, and some of this being things like glass beads that look like they're from outside of Siberia. So there's been this hint that there's been contact in the region, despite what the human genetics tell us. And so instead of it being a change of theory, it's almost like a bridge between two different theories. One saying there was no contact and another one saying that there was contact. And what our research has been able to see with these dog genomes is that there was contact, but it wasn't genetic contact of people, right? So that both things were true at the same time. And what was happening is that people were in some way in contact with other people, whether that was migrating and trading and going back, but they just weren't trading partners themselves, right? So you're not finding a boyfriend, a girlfriend, a partner, a wife. I mean, these terms wouldn't have been used in the past, right? But you're not necessarily breeding with these other populations. So you're not going to see that in the human genetics. But if you do come into contact, you might get some beads from them, you might get some tools from them, and that's coming back to the Arctic with you. But so there's these two different stories, but that doesn't mean they're not both true at the same time, if that makes sense. So, so just so our listeners and I can understand this more, when you're taking your DNA samples, it's from the remains of the canines? Correct. Wow. Now you're catching on. Yeah, but if I didn't catch on, what about our listeners? Well, well maybe they caught on and I'm the only one. Yeah, that didn't. maybe okay. I think that's more like I it. Gotcha. No, but okay. I think that's really fascinating. I mean, I, I mean, imagine the remains of like a 2000 year old dog. Yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, what's what I find so fascinating is even though they were trading, these people really, I guess, weren't interbreeding. Like she said, they weren't, you know, taking wives, but maybe they brought dogs back or their dogs were mixing with other dogs. So I'm, I'm assuming that some of the gene pool in these dogs were kind of a combo of the Siberian dogs and some of the other Eastern European or lower landmass dogs like Asiatic, like lower Asiatic dogs, correct? Exactly. So that's okay. what we were able to find. So essentially what we're looking at when we are kind of trying to address these questions is we, we take the genome of the dog that we're looking at and we just compare it to other dogs, whether it's in the past or in the present. So sometimes we don't have the best proxy in the past or the best equivalent in the past, right? If we haven't sequenced it yet, we don't have that data. So we'll have to use a modern dog from whatever region. So maybe a modern dog that's been living last year in China or a dog 10,000 years ago that we could find in the high Arctic. But we compare our samples of interest, our dogs of interest, 
and we look at how many of the genes or how much of the DNA is shared between these different populations, if that makes sense. And so you can yes. kind of put a percentage to it and say 10% of them came from here and 90% came from here, or 100% looks like this one 5,000 years before them. And so they're the same for all intents and purposes, they're the same, right? So we can look at those kind of more minute or general differences to kind of sense a pattern of what's going on. So you got the pattern of the development of the, of the canine and the movement. Is, yes. that, is that compatible with the movement and the development of the human? So in the sense that we don't see the humans interacting genetically with each other outside of the region. So it's a little bit incongruous at that stage, or it, it kind of doesn't match up, but it does match up with the archaeological records. So when we see that there's materials moving, which means that people and their dogs probably move, they didn't take a new partner from this new place. But if their dog was feeling a little frisky while they were there. And it makes and so much sense. It really does. Well, just to recap everyone, that was Dr. Tatiana Feuerborn, an archaeologist at the University of Copenhagen, discussing how DNA from the remains of Siberian dogs suggests that ancient Arctic communities weren't isolated, but traded with their outside world as early as 7,000 years ago. Looking forward to talking to you again. Wonderful. I look okay. forward to it as well. Thank you so much for this experience. It was great. Yeah, Thank you. it was fun. Next up, a celebrity pet buzz. And of course, Black's Facts. You are listening to the Pet Buzz with pet trendologist Charlotte Reed and veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. Now, here's another treat for you from Pet Buzz Plus. Pet Buzz Plus. Hi, I'm Maria from California, and I'm a listener of the Pet Buzz. I love my dog, Lily the Labradoodle, so much because we have a blast together, hiking, going to the beach, and even shopping for her toys and treats. Life would be so boring without her. And I'm so excited to tell all you Pet Buzz listeners about my dog, Lily. We're kind of like your pet. We love being social on Pet Buzz Plus. Pet Buzz Plus. We know people love their dogs and many like to take them everywhere to lunch, to work, shopping. But dogs are only welcome in places where they behave. Our very own etiquette and pet trendologist Charlotte Reed discusses decorum for every occasion in her book, Miss Fido Manners, complete book of dog etiquette. She provides tips for behaving at home and on the street, eating in or going out. Plus, extending pet courtesy to others in places of business, being mindful of others while traveling, and treating veterinarians, pet sitters, and dog groomers with respect. With Miss Fido Manners, pet owners can learn how to behave appropriately in all kinds of situations. Miss Fido Manners from pet trendologist Charlotte Reed on Amazon. I'm pet expert Charlotte Reed, and I want to remind you how important it is to protect your pet against fleas, ticks, and mosquitoes with preventative tablets and topicals. By giving your dogs and cats preventative meds throughout the year, you are protecting your pet from Lyme disease, heartworm, flea allergies, worms, and more, causing unwanted and costly vet bills. Most importantly, these parasites can infiltrate your home, causing you and your family's health to be compromised. Remember, healthy pet health you. Can't get enough of the buzz? We're online at thepetbuzz.com with daily features including helpful tips from Charlotte, more flex facts, and a lot of ways for you to save on all of your favorite pet needs. That's the way it has to be because that's the way I 
It's genius. It's to die for. I like it. As we all know, the holidays are upon us. And one of the things that we hear on a daily basis, numerous times a day, is that government officials, retail experts, and the media are telling us we now to buy things now before holiday supplies, gifts, foodstuffs, and other items are limited. And that's kind of why I'm highlighting Merrick Pet Care today. Their Thanksgiving and Christmas dinners are actually cans of meals, Hmm. special meals. They come in limited editions. Merrick Thanksgiving Day Dinner is a grain-free recipe with big home-style chunks of real DeBone USDA-inspected turkey Hmm. prepared with chicken, sweet potatoes, carrots, green beans, and Granny Smith apples, all in a gravy that your dog is definitely going to love. So all of Merrick's canned recipes can be served as a topper for dry kibble or nutritious standalone meal. And then back again by popular demand. By popular or popular? Popular demand. I like that. Merrick's Christmas Day dinner. It's the perfect way for all dogs to celebrate the holiday season. The recipe features the bone chicken, chicken broth, turkey broth, the bone, turkey and sweet potatoes. Uh, sounds yummy. Mm. I was going to say, but for the dogs, I'll take it. Well, maybe I'll serve it up for some dinner for you. Okay. Over All right. Feel the same way. Mm. Anyway, I say now is the time to plan ahead because these two yummy meals for your dog can really make your pets holidays. <laughs> so the Merrick website is MerrickPetCare.com. You are listening to the Pet Buzz with pet trendologist Charlotte Reed and veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. We know people love their dogs and many like to take them everywhere to lunch, to work, shopping. But dogs are only welcome in places where they behave. Our very own etiquette and pet trendologist Charlotte Reed discusses decorum for every occasion in her book, Miss Fido Manners, complete book of dog etiquette. She provides tips for behaving at home and on the street, eating in or going out. Plus, extending pet courtesy to others in places of business, being mindful of others while traveling, and treating veterinarians, pet sitters, and dog groomers with respect. With Miss Fido Manners, pet owners can learn how to behave appropriately in all kinds of situations. Miss Fido Manners from pet trendologist Charlotte Reed on Amazon. Well, it's time for a drum roll, please. Black Facts. Welcome to Just the Facts. Just the Facts. Fact or fiction? Just the Facts, ma'am. You want answers! I want the truth! So I've got a question from you from Georgie. Georgie lives in New Mexico, and she wrote that her dog has hiccups. Dr. Fleck, she wants to know what causes them. Well, not New Mexico. So, Georgie, let me give you a little anatomy lesson first. The diaphragm is a dome-shaped sheet of internal skeletal muscle that separates the chest from the abdomen. It's the primary muscle involved in respiration. When a dog breathes in, the diaphragm contracts and moves downward, making more room in the chest cavity for the lungs to expand. When a dog breathes out, the diaphragm relaxes and moves up into the chest cavity. Normally, the movements of the diaphragm are smooth and regular, but when the muscle suddenly spasms, we call it a hiccup. 
hiccups can be brought on by eating or drinking too fast and swallowing too much air. Okay, I'm trying to picture all that. That's a lot, but at least I know they can be brought in by eating or drinking and swallowing too much air. And sometimes that happens to me. I don't necessarily hiccup, but I do. (gasps) Didn't the Pope have a problem with that once? I don't know. I think so. Anyway, okay. So how common are hiccups? Okay. So most hiccups spell only last a a few minutes. Of course, most pet owners want to do something to help their pets. Many cures for dogs are quite similar to those used by the owners when hiccups strike. These may include giving dogs something sweet or adding syrup, honey, or sugar to their water. The sweetness can help distract your dog, which can change and hopefully relax her breathing patterns. Since hiccups are an involuntary, you don't need to want to give the dog anything solid that requires a lot of chewing, as this could lead to choking, obviously. So make sure to also avoid anything sugar-free because those products often contain xylitol, which can be very dangerous for the dogs. It's toxic for pets. You may try massaging your dog's chest to help relax the diaphragm or even gently startling your pet. Encouraging light exercise can also help change your dog's breathing patterns. So we're just trying to create something different. Yeah, and I think that's really important. I'm glad you mentioned the xylitol because, for example, I'm a diabetic. So I have sugar-free maple syrup Ah. in my refrigerator, but I also have honey, too. So, Do you use that for your pancakes, your maple syrup, the xylitol? You know that. Of course I do. Because... I recommend when people are brushing their teeth not to use people toothpaste or pet toothpaste, but to use baking soda mixed with pancake syrup. So it make tastes better and mixes, but not use the sugar-free pancake syrup. Oh, well, I didn't know that, but so another little anyway, another little tip. Now you know what kind of syrup I have. And okay, so let me move on because I'm gonna get distracted by saying something. So let's say the dog has persistent hiccups. Is there a time when you really should call the vet? Just rare cases. Hiccups can be a sign of a more serious underlying problem, of course, such as respiratory defects, pneumonia, asthma, pericarditis, or maybe even if you're out in the heat, heat stroke. If the condition persists for more than a few hours, and that's a long time too, it's time to call your vet. Yeah, you know, such a simple thing, but such great advice. Thanks, Dr. Fleck. That's all the Fleck facts for today. You are listening to The Pet Buzz with pet trendologist Charlotte Reed and veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. Need more buzz? We've got plenty more for you on our social media channels, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We call it Pet Buzz Plus. It's the best way for you to engage with like-minded pet lovers everywhere. So remember, Pet Buzz Plus. Brace yourselves for big news. We're going to the place where all the action is. It's time for Pet Buzz Celebrity Pet News. The most sensational news. Fantastic. I'm so excited. You ready? Here's pet trendologist Charlotte Reed. As I say every week, I love the Celebrity Pet Buzz because I get to spend time 
doing that guilty pleasure, looking up the magazines, looking up the websites, finding out what the celebrities and their dogs are up to. Well, country music kroner, and for those of you who don't know, I am a big country music devotee, and I love morning radio with Bobby Bones and his crew. Okay, so country music kroner Chase Bryan has added another pet member to his family. They welcomed a puppy named Goose, and Bryan hasn't been shy about showing off pics of the dog on Insta. So by now, Goose is about 16 weeks old. She is a German short-haired pointer a breed known for being a great hunting companion. And Bryant learned about the breed doing a hunting trip with Iowa Hunting Lodge Heritage 1865, where the crooner got to go out with a group that included many German short-haired ponies. You know what I found so interesting about that was when you get exposure to different dogs, mm-hmm. you never know what you're going to find. You never know what you're going to love. It, and that's one of the reasons I encourage people to go to dog shows because they get to see the breeds close up. Or go to other dog events. And don't forget, that was a Westminster Dog Show winner a couple years ago. Yeah, it was. The dog's name was Carly. See? And Michelle, who won Westminster two years in a row, the year before with the Newfie, when we had that massive snowstorm in New York, Juliana was mayor. That's how I remember it. Okay. And actually, uh, that's around the time my book came out. So I will not forget Uh that. Okay. Well, what's the name of your book again? The Miss Fido Manners Complete Book of Dog Etiquette. And it's really an etiquette primer for not only you, but for your dog. Okay. Well, you know, one of the things as we end the year, we and our lives, Dr. Fleck, have lost so many dogs mm-hmm. in the last year. Thames and Hannah and, and my beloved Ty. I love them all. But Ty and I spend so much time together doing so much TV. And I always feel for really anybody who loses a dog. But I just want to give you a list of of some of the celebrities who are going through some of the things that we all go through when we lose our dog. So Amy Roloff, Brooklyn Beckham, you know, son of Bend It Like Beckham, you know, <laughs> that hottie, uh, and his gal, Nicola Peltz. Rob Lowe even lost a dog. Linda Evangelista, you know, she was recently uh, in the, all the newspapers about, you know, bad plastic surgery mm-hmm. gone astray. And then, of course, there's Ramona Singer from uh, the Housewives of New York. Uh, I have to say, Ramona is not my favorite housewife, but her dog, Coco, was very sweet, very lovable. And I can really feel for what Ramona is going through. You know how it is. This is the time when we realize, and you always say this, when we have these similar situations, we realize celebrities are just like us, right, Dr. Fleck? Yep. And, you know, I always like to look at it like this. Once the dogs, you know, we we want to believe they go to Rainbow Bridge. And I always say that that's the place where treats fall from the sky. And there's always fun games, lots of great dogs to play with. I like to think of Rainbow Bridge as a way station. And it's going to be a place where my dogs will just wait to be reunited. Absolutely. With me. Need more buzz? We've got plenty more for you on our social media channels, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We call it Pet Buzz Plus. It's the best way for you to engage with like-minded pet lovers everywhere. So remember, Pet Buzz Plus. So October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month, an annual campaign to raise awareness about the impact of breast cancer. But what about dogs and cats? Because they suffer from breast cancer too. So joining us today is veterinarian Karen Serenmo, Emeritus Professor of Oncology at the School of Veterinary Medicine at the University of Pennsylvania. She is the co-founder of Leslie's Place. 
Doctor, welcome to the Pet Buzz. Thank you. We're so glad to have her back. Oh my it's gosh. Been a few, it's been definitely been a few years. It's such an important topic. Mm-hmm. So before we get started, Dr. Srenmo, talk to us about Leslie's Place. Yes, I'm happy to. So Leslie's Place is a nonprofit that I started with my husband, Dr. Mark Pollan, this past year. I am an oncologist and he's a surgeon. So we have the perfect combination of skills to do this this type of work. Um, it's a continuation of the PANDAT Shelter Athena Mammary Tumor Program. And the mission is to save homeless dogs with mammary tumors, give them a better life, and also advance breast cancer research. Um, some of the work is translational and comparative. So that's why we gave it the name Leslie's Place. It's personal for us. It's to honor a dear friend and an extraordinary veterinarian who lost her life to breast cancer a few years back. That's wonderful. Just just to add to the human impact of this association with our pets as humans, do you coordinate any of that research with human research for breast cancer? Yes, I think so. And I hope that we can do more. I think that the dog particularly offer a different insight into some of the questions regarding how breast cancer develop and progress uh, that we can use and also learn a little bit about it in humans. And we have published some articles on that. So, uh, and links to some of those articles are actually available on the website. Excellent. For those pet owners listening to the Pet Buzz today, Give us some statistics about both canine and feline breast cancer. Yes. Uh, so there's different ways of looking at incidents or reporting statistics. One is more scientific. And when you do it that way, they typically report the annual incidence rate per 100,000 animals at risk. So if you do it that way, the numbers for dogs is 200. For cats, is about 25, and that compares to humans with about 100. But I think a more practical way of looking at it is to compare the incidence of breast cancer to other cancers using dogs and cats. And if you do it that way, uh, breast cancer is the most common cancer in intact female dogs, and maybe the third or the fourth most common in the cat. Well, that's a large number. Yeah, it is a large number. I mean, one doesn't really hear about it as much as other forms of cancer. Well, I, well, I'm just curious because um, we talked about the human connection earlier. Is canine and feline breast cancer similar to human breast cancer? Yes, and that's why the work we can do through Leslie's place is so important. In general, I think that I look at it this way: so, dog represents the more complete picture of breast cancer as you see it in women. So you have the diverse types of physiological types and various behavior, and most of them are hormone receptor positive. In cats, you see typically a more aggressive subtype that are tend to be hormone receptor negative. So in cats, it kind of represents only the most aggressive type of breast cancer you see in women, but both, I think, are important. You know, I'd really like our listeners to listen to your response to this question. It's very important for pet owners. 
So what dogs and cats are at a greater risk for getting breast cancer? And talk to us about breed, sex, age. So in both dogs and cats, it's the middle-aged to older patients that gets it. Typically, these are animals that are intact, nothing spayed, or they have been spayed at the late stage of their lives. There are, in both dogs and cats, certain breeds that are more in, at increased risk. So in dogs in general, you, you kind of think of the smaller breed dogs that are at increased risk compared to the larger breed dogs. And then typically purebred, um, they are probably the certain breeds that we think of would be Dachshund, Maltese, Poodles, uh, those types of dogs. But the larger ones, uh, spring spaniels have been reported as well as German shepherds. With cats, it's the Siamese that tend to be overrepresented. Such great information. Dr. Trenma, we need to take a break. Can you stick around for another segment? Because I know we have a few more questions. Sure. Okay, great. Ever wonder what goes on inside the Pet Buzz studio? We post full-length video versions of all of our guests on our YouTube channel. Does your pet have dry, flaky, and itchy skin? Do you find yourself visiting the veterinarian repeatedly because Fido or Fluffy has skin allergies or ear infections? EpiPet to the rescue. Developed by a veterinarian, EpiPet is a revolutionary, high-performance skin and ear care product line made with the finest natural ingredients. EpiPet, for you and your pet, means better pet health. For more information, epi-pet.com. EpiPet is another proud partner of the Pet Buzz. Hey, it's Dr. Mike Fleck back with you here on the Pet Buzz with the popular movement to save our environment, our precious beef, and especially our barbecued steaks, may be in line for extinction. According to current biology, cows don't make an effort to restrict their urine to any one particular place. The article also confirms that cow's pee is a greenhouse gas, maybe 300 times more potent than carbon monoxide and 10 times more than methane. So, University of Auckland in New Zealand to the rescue. They taught cows to be potty trained and use a latrine instead of the pasture. So, in the future, mobile toilets in the pasture might become as visible as windmills. Contain the pee, neutralize the greenhouse gas, and hooray, we keep our stinks. We're back and you're listening to the Pet Buzz. You know, October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month, and we are learning about canine and feline breast cancer from Dr. Karen Cernmo, retired from <laughs> University of Pennsylvania, the Department of Oncology. And she and her husband are the co-founders of Leslie's Place, a nonprofit set up to deal with older dogs who are homeless, who do have mammary tumors. Yeah, so important. Dr. Fleck, you had a question. So how are mammary tumors diagnosed and treated? Uh, typically, when a nodule is detected, we uh, perform something called an excisional biopsy. 
So we don't do an incisional, which is typical in women, to find out whether it's benign or malignant. We just excise the entire tumor. And that could be just as simple as a little lumpectomy to a simple resection of the gland that is affected or sometimes multiple glands. Because in dogs, it's actually quite common that you have more than one tumor when they are detected. So all of that deceased or abnormal glands are resected with the first surgery. And that helps us decide whether it's benign or malignant and how malignant it is. And depends on that, we could recommend follow-up therapy. For the most part, you know, we don't see those very aggressive types in the dogs. Many of them are hormone dependent. And because of that, if a dog is intact, we also recommend routine ovary hysterectomy or spaying in those dogs. You know, talk, that, that's talking about how the veterinarian or the medical community diagnoses and treating. But you mentioned that this is primarily in the aging pet. It's just like aging people, isn't it? There's certain things that we have to monitor for ourselves. And since our pet can't monitor it, we need to pay attention to monitor some of these things for our pets as they mature. Wouldn't you agree? Definitely. I think uh, if you have a dog that is uh, intact or was spayed later, it's relatively easy to do those breast exams on your own pet. Um, it's not uncomfortable. It's non-invasive. You just lay the dog over on the side and feel up along the mammary chain. And in the area around the nipples. And if you find a little nodule or not, then you have to take your dog to a veterinarian. Many times these things happen in between those annual wellness exams. So it's important that people learn how to do that. Yeah, I mean, that actually was my next question. And I'm glad that Dr. Serrano brought that up. And I think it's always a good idea after you you know, perform the checkup. Yes. Uh, give the dog a treat so he gets used to doing it. And if you're kind of a little leery about doing it for the first time, if your dog is an intact female of a certain age and of a certain breed, ask your veterinarian to show you. And also, you know, I know we discussed this uh, when we were prepping for this interview, but that breast exam should be part of your dog's yearly examination. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, it yeah. should be. And if it's not, you need to ask your vet to check for you. Yeah. And, and again, I think that there's a certain amount of responsibility that the pet parent has here, just as if they're monitoring for, you know, we have them as children, as their puppies. And then as they get older, it's like taking care of our parents. And we need to, to monitor in that particular way. When they're, when they're kids, you know, they get away with a lot of stuff. But as they, as they mature and they, they're older, then, you know, those questions have to be asked just like we ask about our, our parents. Yeah. I mean, I said this earlier, I said, you know, when you get a, pe- a pet, people spend so much time making sure it's, you know, they find the right breeder or they, you hope they find the right breeder. They pick a, a dog, you know, everywhere that every website organization says, pick a dog that suits your lifestyle. But then you also have to take that a step further and become very aware of potential health problems and risk that your pet could have, because not only could it cause you, not only could it cause them pain and suffering as well as you, 
it also can be very expensive. And I know in a lot of cases when they do find that a pet has breast cancer, they might also remove the uterus. So that's not one surgery. That's two surgeries that your pet is going through. And it also can be very expensive. I also have to say that when I'm reviewing my on an annual visit of the pets, the first thing I look at, if it's 13, 14 year old female, has she been spayed or not? And I automatically start paying more attention to those areas. And I think most veterinarians do the same thing. And a lot of that has to do with cultural backgrounds because a lot of the cultural uh, events cultural people, and regional backgrounds, culture and regional backgrounds yeah. that they've avoided maybe for whatever reason spaying and neutering their pets and i see it every day um and we need to be aware of that as veterinarians and i'm sure doctor would recommend if she were speaking to us in a seminar that we need to monitor that real closely too yes i agree I, I think it's important and uh, it takes an extra little effort to feel carefully in the mammary gland, especially the caudal gland where you see more tumors. You may have to just go and feel for it specifically. Yeah. Wow. Dr. Serenmo, it's always wonderful to have you on the show. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Such great information and something that you can very easily do at home, those soft checks, just like women do. Yep. It should be par for the course. Well, everyone, that was Dr. Karen Serenmo, uh, Professor Emeritus at University of Pennsylvania School of Veterinary Medicine in the Department of Oncology. Dr. Serenmo and her husband are the co-founders of Leslie's Place. And it's important to know that's an organization, one, I think one of the first of its kind that really focuses on homeless dogs that have mammary tumors. So I think it's a great idea. Wonderful, wonderful yeah. program. Wonderful. Wonderful. Bye-bye. Thank Bye. you. Bye. And now, Pet Buzz News from around the globe. I want to talk about high drama at a rescue mission. So in mid-September on Cumbra Vieja Ridge, one of the most active volcanic regions in the Canary Islands, there was a lava spill that destroyed more than 2,000 properties, forced evacuation of more than 7,500 people, and devastated La Palma's banana plantations. It also left dogs stranded because of the lava flows. They were kind of left on this little, like, island. Fast forward weeks later, a Spanish drone operator received permission to try to rescue these three dogs trapped near the volcano by catching them with a remote control net and flying them out over the lava stream. It's like when you're sitting on the edge of your seat in a movie theater, right? Mm -hmm. But here's the thing. The operator was going to just have four minutes to lure the dogs to the net and another minute to fly a dog out. Mm. Okay, so test flights were being carried out, and that's when it happened. A mysterious gang calling itself A-Team claimed to have retrieved the animals using rather less than high-tech methods. So last Thursday, a video appeared online that seemed to suggest any further drone deployments would be absolutely unnecessary. And then what they did in the video is they showed a banner, they placed it in the water, in the water container where the dogs were last seen, and it read, 
Stay strong, La Palma. The dogs are fine. A source from the local media outlet that published the video told the Spanish deli El Paz the animals were fine. So for the time being, the source added, it would be difficult to explain exactly what happened because whatever it was, it was illegal to set foot in this exclusion zone. So all I have to say is Viva Los Perros, long live the dog. Yeah, but think of it this way, grabbing your cigar and saying, stay strong, La Palma. The dogs are fine. I got to admit, I never was a big 18. Uh, I love the 18. Yeah. Well, so manly. So the manly guys yes. from the Spanish 18. Stay strong, say, La Palma. Yes. Smoking Viva Los The dogs are fine. Well, anyway, Dr. Fleck, on that note, it's yes. time to say goodbye. What? Yes, we just is. got started. So we want to give you a preview for next week's show. So next week, we're going to talk about a group of lawmakers, including members of both parties that has signed a letter calling for Dr. Fauci and his agency to answer questions on the funding for experiments involving canine testing. Yes, we will. And then we're also going to talk about cooking for pets, as well as National Animal Shelter Appreciation Week. Special thanks to our guests, Dr. Tatiana Fairborn and Dr. Karen Serenmo. Of course, we must always thank our sponsors, the Animal Medical Center of Bradenton and EpiPet, making better skin coat and ear care products for healthier pets everywhere. Shampoos, skin and coat sprays, sunscreen, ear cleaner and supplements for your dogs and cats. Most importantly, remember, we're here each week to help you take better care of your pets. Peace out and pet love. Goodbye. Thanks for listening to The Pet Buzz with pet trendologist Charlotte Reed and Dr. Michael Fleck. The Pet Buzz is dedicated to enhancing the bond between pets and their people. If you and your pets need even more buzz, we're online at thepetbuzz.com and our social media channels, Pet Buzz Plus, the best way for you to engage with like-minded pet lovers everywhere. So, I just moved in with this family and it's embarrassing. The little one, he likes to go outside and crawl around in the giant litter box. I don't know what he's doing. I mean, I was born and I knew how to use the litter box. That's disgusting. I really hope he grows out of this for his sake. A person is the best thing to happen to a shelter pet. Be that person. Adopt. They call me Prince like I'm royalty or something. But the places I've lived ain't no palaces. So I don't need grilled salmon or a new scratching post. Just give me a cardboard box and a can of tuna and we're good. You can even change my name. I'm cool being the kitty formerly known as Prince. A person is the best thing to happen to a shelter pet. Be that person. Adopt. Adopt.